I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. The latest from Cyprus and how it affects UK savers. What's to become of the UK's state-run banks and the mounting warnings about bonds and bond funds? I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Elaine Moore Hello. and Jennifer Thompson. Hello. Plus our special studio guest Brian Denhey of fundexpert.co.uk. Hello. First, the latest news from Cyprus. Several weeks ago, the EU, the ECB and the IMF proposed a bailout for the island that broke just about every rule in the bailout book. It involved a tax on bank deposits and was comprehensively rejected by the island's parliament amid huge popular protests. A revised proposal saw one of the country's two major banks shut down completely and the other comprehensively restructured. There will still be a deposit levy, but only deposits over the €100,000 EU-wide deposit insurance limit will be affected. The country's banks have now reopened, although capital controls are in place to prevent money fleeing Cyprus, the first time this has happened during the Eurozone's existence. So where does that leave the tens of thousands of Britons living in Cyprus, including members of the armed forces, those who have retired to the Med, and those running businesses there? And what about those who've got money saved with the UK arms of Cypriot banks? Elaine Moore is here to explain. Elaine, let's start with the Brits living out there. What's the situation if you've got cash in a Cypriot bank account? Well, as you said, the deal has finally been done uh, after weeks of negotiation and um, we know that there will be a hit for depositors who have more than €100,000 in a bank account, in a Cypriot bank account. So if you if you are an expat and if you hold a lot of cash in your account, then the likelihood is that you will be included in this, this haircut that's being taken across the whole of the, the country's depositors. However, the UK government has come out and it said that it will protect certain groups of people, so uh, armed forces and uh, people who work for the government and who have opened local bank accounts. So if they if they have very large sums of money, which the government says is actually unlikely, it doesn't think that there are very many people who have very large sums of money in these groups in Cyprus. But if they do, they will be compensated. However, expats who just happen to have a large amount of money, so they've just sold a house or something... There at the moment there is no cover for them, so they are likely to to lose out. 
Can't they just take their money out the island well, before the before the tax comes in? Yeah, so it turns out that uh, that someone's already thought about that, and so there are these uh, limits on the amount of money that can be taken out of cash machines, about three hundred euros uh, each day, and there's also a limit on how many euros can be taken out of the country. So these these stories about uh, people flying into Cyprus to try and take suitcases of money out again, there are limits on how much can be taken out uh, to stop that happening. Okay, and what about if you have cash in a UK-based bank account, but you happen to live in Cyprus? Are you also affected then? So the money won't be taken out of your account in that case. This is about Cypriot banks. However, you are still subject to the limitations on how much money you can get out of cash machines. That that's just being imposed across cash machines, not about banks in general. So you'll still uh, maybe have difficulties getting hold of money. There's been reports in Cyprus saying that people are, you know, they're they're limiting their purchases at the moment to just essentials because it's they. Don't don't know how long these restrictions will go on so there's no point sort of spending large amounts of money at the moment when you don't know how much cash you can have in a few weeks time. Okay now turning to those in the UK um, who have accounts with the UK arms of Cypriot banks here how many how many people are we talking about here? Is this it's hundreds actually, of thousands? Or? It's actually quite a lot. It's not hundreds of thousands, but um, there's about uh, 50,000 savers with the Bank of Cyprus UK. There's 15,000 savers with the Likey Bank UK, mm. which these aren't banks that we talk about very often, but they have had really, really good rates recently. So for fixed term savings, they've been offering more than you could get on the high street. They've been offering 3%, 4% in some cases. So, you know, people looking around at cash accounts have looked at these banks and have put their money away way um so yes it's more than you would think i think okay and what's happening to those are they going to be uh, raided for taxes or are they covered by uk legislation well there's some really good news this week uh, if you are one of the fifteen thousand people who have money in like bank uk because that was not covered by the uk's deposit protection scheme that was covered by the cypriot deposit protection scheme but what happened this week was that the new financial regulator said, OK, we're moving all of those depositors to Bank of Cyprus UK. So that means that because Bank of Cyprus UK does come under the UK's protection scheme, those savers will also be included. So they receive the same protection that any other saver in the UK would receive. OK, thank you very much, Elaine. You can read more about the situation in Cyprus in this weekend's FT Money. This is available as part of your regular weekend FT newspaper, or you can read online at www.ft.com forward slash money. If you want to leave comments, you can do so online, or you can email us your stories. The address is money at ft.com. Still to come on the show, the growing warnings about a bond bubble. But first, banks. We've just come through the corporate reporting season for the UK's banks and it's become increasingly clear that both Royal Bank of Scotland and Lloyd's, the two banks part-owned by the taxpayer, are looking towards the day they are returned to private ownership. But not everyone thinks they should be. Mervyn King, the Governor of the Bank of England, says RBS should be broken up into a good and bad bank like Northern Rock was, while the former Chancellor, Lord Lawson, says it should be nationalised altogether. Even if the banks were reprivatised, there is still an awful lot of restructuring to do first, and there isn't yet much agreement on exactly how any sale of shares should be done. Joining us now is Jennifer Thompson, who covers UK retail banking here at the Financial Times. Jennifer, presumably both Stephen Hester and Antonio Horta Osorio, the bosses of RBS and Lloyds respectively, can't wait to escape the shackles of government control. 
Well, it's a difficult point that. I mean, one needs to be diplomatic. I mean, on the record, both Mr. Horta Osorio and Mr. Hester, you know, emphasise the relationship with the government has been good. And, you know, obviously they want to, you know, just treat them as they would any other shareholder to focus on returns and, and keeping the bank profitable. I mean, behind the scenes, clearly there have been some bumps in the road. I think particularly so with RBS, obviously um, Lloyd's has, the government has a 39% stake in RBS. You know, this is dwarfed by their 82% stake there. And of course, you know, banks, the the sector has become increasingly politicised. And I think it's fair to say that when, you know, Mr. Hester's had to, you know, deal with subjects such as pay or the recent uh, fine with US and UK regulators over LIBOR transgressions, it's just raised the heat that that little bit more. Having said that, um, you know, the, the word shackles perhaps is going a little bit too far. I mean, the first point is that both Mr. Horta, sorry, or Mr. Hester are not civil servants. They've been allowed to get on with their job. And, you know, Stephen Hester made it very clear recently um, at the time of the, the LIBOR fine when the bank was, you know, really under a lot of pressure saying, you know, I don't shirk Heather's judgment. In other words, you know, back me, sack me, but let me get on and do the job. And it's pretty clear that, you know, the bank's weathered that storm and he's planning on, on being there for, you know, I, I I'd guess at least another year, if not longer. And the second point is that um, the government's shareholding in both banks is managed via this um, arm called UK Financial Investments, which, you know, it's run sort of via the Treasury, but it's it's still, you know, at an arm's length. um, And the people who will, you know, who populate Ukfi, they are bankers. They're responsible for looking at the commercial decisions of the banks and how best to, you know, restore value for the shareholders. So the relationship is perhaps not as fraught as some of the headlines suggest, but sure, you know, state involvement in such big banks is not a particularly comfortable place for the government to be. Okay. And presumably, once they're back in private ownership, they'll be able to pay dividends again because they can't do that while they're receiving state aid, can they? That's a bit of a complex question um, and slightly different for, for Lloyds and RBS. I mean, neither pay dividends at the moment. Lloyds doesn't have any ban on it. Um, one would assume that before they you know, are fully privatised again, they would want to start paying dividends because, after all, what would be the attraction for investors otherwise? Um, and of course, you know, once they start doing that, that could be a signal that privatisation is closer. Um, you know, our assumption is that the bank might start doing that next year or at least make, you know, more concrete statements on their policy. With RBS, it's a little more complicated because they do have what um, amounts to an actual bar on paying dividends um, when the government bought its shareholding. Um, so much money was injected, two types of shares were created. Now, in one case, if they pay a dividend for sort of the largest pool of shares, what what private investors and the government partially owns, they then have to pay a multiple of that on the other pool of shares. This is obviously prohibitive. So what it's saying is, you know, because of state aid, there is this break on paying dividends. Now, what will happen there is we assume that it'll be negotiated away. And those negotiations, of course, will be on this rather technical point. But what they'll really be saying is the bank is in a much better place. It's much healthier. It can start to think about paying dividends. And of course, again, you know, that will be 
presumably a precursor to privatisation. Now, again, you know, the bank is being cautious on talking about this, but Mr Hester's indicated that he'd like to start thinking about that next year, thinking about the negotiations. So, I mean, obviously, this is a very protracted process. But yes, I mean, the dividend question and privatisation do walk hand in hand. Okay. And what else stands in the way of reprivatisation? Is there still restructuring to be done? Are there legal and political issues to be overcome? Um, yes, there's rather a lot. I mean, the the list, the most basic list would have to take account of, first of all, the um, continuing restructuring of both banks. I mean, they've both made great strides in running down their non-core divisions since the end of 2008. So this is basically, you know, unwinding a lot of those riskier assets, you know, for example, in commercial real estate uh, and cutting the banks back to healthy tissue. What they both still have to do are sell branch estates, which were part of the um, obligations under the state aid bailouts. This is demanded under European regulation. Um, and in both those cases, that's ongoing. RBS suffered a blow last year when the estate they were going to sell to Santander, a deal fell apart. Uh, Lloyd's is currently um, in negotiations with the co-op and is hoping to sell the estate to them. But, you know, until both of those deals complete or there's like a clear you know, sense of where that's heading, that that's something they'll still have to sort out. Um, and in the case of RBS as well, there are lawsuits potentially they'll be facing. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen two filings over cash calls uh, made just before the crisis. And of course, things like PPI could yet mean more impairments. Um, so, you know, these things are st- still weighing on their profitability and, and outlook. Finally, in relation to the way that the shares might be transferred back to private ownership, one of the um, one of the ways to do it has been suggested that the shares are simply given away to members of the public, uh, anyone with a national insurance number, basically, um, for nothing. How seriously do you think that proposal is being taken in Whitehall? Well, the first thing to say is it's not quite for nothing. The idea, which is still very tentative, but the proposal would be that the shares would be given away initially for free, but there would be a predetermined floor price. So the Treasury would then get that back as presumably investors sell, and they would, of course, benefit from from the upside. Um, I mean, at this stage, it's very difficult to tell. I think it's fair to say the idea is gaining traction. It was first floated by the Liberal Democrats a couple of years ago and was, you know, dismissed then. But now, you know, the Treasury is starting to say, well, it's an interesting idea, so indicates they're prepared to consider it. I think the jury is still out, but there is a report that will look at this question and again could perhaps send a political signal on the way you know opinion on that is going in the next few weeks okay thank you very much jennifer you can read jen's cover feature on the future of rbs and lloyds including some suggestions from individual shareholders in the banks and examples from overseas in this weekend's ft money we'd love to hear your views too on what should be done with the banks especially if you own their shares before the crash So do get in touch and tell us, either via ft.com forward slash money or by emailing us. The address once again is money at ft.com. Finally, the existence or otherwise of a bubble in bonds has been one of the great talking points in investment so far this year. Retail investors have poured money into bond funds over the last few years, seeking better yields than could be obtained from cash deposits, but without taking on the risks associated with equities. Although these inflows have now turned to small outflows, there is still a huge amount of money tied up in fixed income. And detractors say that 
That craving for yield has pushed bond prices to ridiculous levels. Something is clearly amiss, they say, when a country like Bolivia, which has openly expropriated assets from foreign investors, can borrow money for 10 years at less than 5%. One of those who is particularly concerned about frothy fixed income is Brian Dennehy, a financial planner and managing director of fundexpert.co.uk. Brian, in a nutshell, what's the problem here? Well, there, there are a number of different problems, or at least the evidence that illustrates the, the problem. Um, valuation is extreme. We have, um, we already know gilts have hit 300-year lows. We're probably towards the end of a 30-year bull market in bonds. Um, evidence supporting the fact that we're towards the end, other than its longevity. The retail bonds in the last few months, I think, um, I was increasingly concerned about the yields on those and the quality of the companies. They were highly cyclical. Um, in emerging market bonds, you've already mentioned Bolivia. We've also had a new issue from Honduras recently, and they can't even pay their, their day-to-day bills. Um, in Asia, we have large high net worth individuals, and, and these guys are borrowing millions, tens of millions, to invest into the more flaky high-yield bond end of the market. Um, high-yield bond issuance generally, corporate bond issuance in Asia, was up 6,000%. Uh, in January this year compared to the January the year before. So we have extreme valuations. We have extreme behaviour in some cases, uh, including leverage in some cases. And we've also got a liquidity problem in the corporate bond market in particular, where uh, liquidity has roughly halved since 2008 post Lehman's. But for example, the amount gone into UK retail mutual bonds has doubled. So there is going to be a problem as and when people do want to get out. I think that's absolutely clear. And it was very extreme in 2008, 2009. For many bond issues, there was was no price at all. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, these aren't traded on stock markets. There is no continuous two-way pricing. There is only, you can only sell if there is a willing buyer. Is that right? Absolutely. And the liquidity pre-Lehman's was 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 okay. No one really worried too much about that issue pre-Lehman's. It's it's now a much, much, uh, much, much bigger issue. but it will only become a real issue at the point when people want to sell. And the problem is um, if we get too many people rushing to the exit all at once. Mm. A lot of uh, investors, ordinary investors might say, well, um, you know, I accept that what's going on in, in Asia is a, is a bit extreme and, and it is disturbing that sort of um, Latin American states can, can, can borrow at such uh, low uh, levels of, of yield. But, but I'm not invested in any of that. You know, I've got a strategic bond fund or a, a corporate bond fund that's very cautious and the fact sheet tells me it's all in AAA rated stuff. Um, I don't need to worry. Is that right or should, or should they be worried? Well, there are different problems. Strategic bond funds, for example, almost certainly have got some of those non-UK holdings in there. And within that sector, it's a very mixed up kind of sector. There are some that are very cautious and there are others that are actually quite gung-ho and investors need to be clear which end of the spectrum they're in. Then there are the the investment-grade corporate bond funds. There are some really good, safe hands in terms of experienced managers in that sector. But hanging on to those bonds now where yields are coming below 3%, um, you just have to think carefully about uh, the effect of inflation on those, the lack of any real return, whether you want to be in them at all in scale for the long term. Um, our clients have done very well out of those bonds in the last few years. We are in the midst of reducing holdings to those bonds and looking at um, alternatives which are either uh, uh, cheap um, or, or good value. 
what could those alternatives be? Because if you look at equities at the moment, you know, we've had a, a great rally in the first quarter. Markets just now seem to be patently ignoring bad news. There's been no reaction to this North Korean business. Um, if you take money out of bonds and put it into equities, aren't you just swapping one set of risks for another? You are, yeah. There are different ways of doing this, and we've been uh, doing it with clients now for the last six or 12 months trying to rebalance. Um, and, and very often what we're ending up with is almost a barbell approach where we're putting higher risk equities at, at one end of the portfolio, but maintaining a very high exposure to, to lower risk areas at the other end, not, not just normal plain vanilla UK uh, corporate bonds, but also, for example, a dollar exposure. The dollar looks, looks actually relatively cheap there is there is good value there it is probably the ultimate safe haven not gold as is often said um so uh, and there are some good uh, absolute return funds which don't rely on bonds there aren't many of them but they are out there so there are ways to rebalance portfolios and we don't think anyone should be embarrassed in actually stepping to one side of of all these markets uh, in the short term if they wish in, in in cash as long as it's only in the short term because opportunities will emerge a number of equity markets have already begun to break down in the last couple of days. Okay, well, thank you very much, Brian. You can read more about bond funds and the various warnings in this week's FT Money, while our data bank pages give you all the latest data on prices, gilt yields and popular corporate bond issues. One last little snippet. If you thought that governments pilfering investors' money through spurious taxes and raids on deposit accounts was a recent development, consider this. 80 years ago this week, Franklin Roosevelt ordered the compulsory exchange of privately held gold for dollars, which he promptly devalued. A necessary evil to fight the Great Depression or an act of federal larceny in the land of the free? Read my column this weekend and decide for yourself. That's it for this week's Money Show, but don't forget you can read us online at any time, www.ft.com forward slash money and you can also read our blog posts on that site follow us on twitter the handle is just ft money and there are links from that page to our individual twitter accounts but until next week it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from elaine jennifer and our special guest brian dennehy goodbye goodbye, goodbye. for more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts 